Hello, and welcome to the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. I'm your host, Jake Eisenberg. Lots to get to on today's episode. We'll speak with Aaron Fitt, a national writer for D1Baseball.com, get a recap of the Fall World Series, learn about Maryland's 2017 schedule and incoming recruits, and chat with shortstop Kevin Smith about his summer in the Cape Cod Baseball League and his new puppy, Milo. This is the off-season edition of the podcast, and we'll be rolling out a new episode every month leading up to the regular season when we'll begin recording podcasts once a week. A reminder to make sure you're following us on our various social media platforms. You can find MBN on Twitter at MDBaseballNet and find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. Also, be sure to follow us on Mixler for updates on our broadcast schedule. And as always, don't forget to check out our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, for the latest Terps baseball news. So with that, let's get started. Very excited to welcome in Aaron Fitt, a national writer for D1Baseball.com, a site that exclusively covers collegiate baseball. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Now, Aaron, I want to talk to you about really all things Maryland baseball from a bunch of different angles, but I want to start with Scout Day, which you attended about a month or so back, and really what were your main observations from, from Scout Day? Uh, well, you know, I think it's a really good, complete club. Uh, that's the thing that really jumped out to me, and um, and, you know, they've got a decent amount of high-end talent, which is why we had quite a few uh, scouts on hand there, you know, area guides as well as national uh, cross-checkers and, and, and things like that in to see some of these high-end prospects that they've got. So I, I think it's a, a really nice core um, of, of, you know, that premier talent and, and a, just a deep supporting cast. I think this team is capable of, of really making some noise here in 2017. To touch on those prospects a little bit, you guys over at D1 Baseball took a more extended look at Kevin Smith, who ended up being your summer breakout prospect. His, he had a great season up in the summer with the Yarmouth Dennis Red Sox in the Cape Cod Baseball League. What did you see out of Smith at that scout day and really over the summer that impressed you guys the way it did? Well, he's just really a pretty dynamic player, you know, and, and he's always been an instinctive player and a hardworking grinder type, um, but I think he's really won some people over with First of all, his defensive ability. You know, I mean, um, I think he wound up being a, a much more advanced defensive shortstop than, than people expected him to be coming out of high school. Um, he, he can make all the plays. You know, he can uh, go deep in the hole and, and, and make that throw. Um, you know, from from way out there that you don't see a lot of college shortstops really able to make with consistency. Uh, his hands are good. His instincts are good. Um, I think he's he's the best defensive shortstop probably in the country, maybe along with Dalton Guthrie of Florida. But he's wow, a guy in the country. That, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that he's a guy that, that scouts think has a legitimate chance to play shortstop in the big leagues, which, again, you don't see a ton of college shortstops stick at that position in pro ball, but he's got a chance to, and, and the bat is, is really coming around. You know, he made progress certainly in, in the Cape League, uh, made some mechanical adjustments. You know, I mean, he, he swung and missed too much last year. He knows that. He's, he's working on cutting that down and kind of fine-tuning his approach, but he's got that speed. He's got some strength in there. Um, I mean, he's, he's a guy that has a chance to be first-round pick next year, so he certainly improved his stock a lot, and uh, he's fun to watch. You know, just at scout day, you watch Maryland take batting practice, and, and Smith's out there flying all over the field, diving around, <laughs> making these highlight reel plays in, in BP, which is just, you know, you don't see that very often. So he's just a guy that loves to play baseball, and it, it's, it's just a, a real pleasure to watch him. Certainly a guy who's going to figure to be a big part of the Maryland core come 2017. But some other guys that are draft eligible that I think it's worth touching upon, Mike Racino, who's named one of the best prospects in the Cal Ripken Baseball League. What did you see out of Racino, who was drafted in 2016? What did you see from him at Scout Day? 
Well, he's got a really good arm, you know, and it's still a fresh arm because he's a converted guy. He hasn't been fishing that long, and so even though he's, um, you know, a little older, um, from a prospect standpoint, I think people are excited about the fact there's not a lot of mileage on that arm. You know, he's still fairly new to pitching, and uh, and it's good stuff. I mean, it's just show you that uh, what 92, 94 kind of velocity, and uh, he's got feel for his his breaking balls, the slider that's pretty good, and, and he's a really nice bullpen piece for Maryland that, that I think uh, does have a chance in, in pro ball to move his way up too. Of course, there's Mike Rosino and Kevin Smith and a couple other guys who will certainly take a closer look at towards May once you know, kind of the draft coverage starts to pick up, but also a decent amount of younger players that aren't necessarily draft eligible yet, and two in particular that I'm sure you guys spent a lot of time discussing. I know we did in last season. Then freshman, now sophomores, Marty Costas and Nick Dunn. What do you expect to see out of them this season? I think those are both guys who are going to have big seasons. You know, um, Dunn's obviously a rising star. You know, the next kind of in that, that Brandon Lau mold as, as a bat first, second baseman, I think he's um, you know, John Sheff told me he's probably even a little bit more advanced defensively at this stage in his career than Dunn was. Uh, I'm sorry, than uh, uh, um, Lau was, excuse me. And in uh, the bat is, is, you know, he's got a lot of strength in there. You know, I think maybe Lau was a, a, a quick, uh, a little bit quicker um, with his feet, but uh, but Dunn I think has more power. You know, I think he's a guy that will probably hit more home runs this year. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a line drive stroke, and he really controls the strike zone. Um, he's a he's a good prospect for sure, uh, and and you know Costas is, is a guy I'm very excited about. I thought he took the best batting practice of any of the, the Maryland players. You know he's he's launching balls out the dead center field pretty easily. You know I mean it's it's a compact frame, but he's kind of built like a fire hydrant. You know it's just a <laughs> lot of strength in there and a lot of natural easy carry off his barrel and uh, and, and I like his setup in the box. He's just a natural hitter, and uh, he's more athletic probably than you think moves around pretty well in the outfield, and, and the arm plays okay. So um, he's a guy that I, I think Maryland is, is expecting big things from this year. And, you know, he had a good year last year um, as a freshman, and I think he's going to need to be even better this year for Maryland to really go as far as they want to. Led the team in home runs and RBIs as a freshman and played pretty much every game in left field, only a couple errors also. Aaron, I think it's pretty funny that you bring up Brandon Lau and the similarities between he and Dunn, and they are really striking. They're both not really the tallest guys around 5'8", five, 5'9", five, obviously both second baseman and both left-handed at the plate, and personality-wise, they're both pretty soft-spoken as well, but one of the funnier things to me, and I'm not sure if you know this, I had the chance to talk to Brandon uh, briefly during practice, probably about a month and a half or so ago, and I kind of asked him about Nick and what he thought of Nick given the comparisons between the two of them. And Brandon told me that the first time he saw batting practice tape of Nick, he was confused because he thought he was looking at some of his old tapes from high school. That's funny. That, that tells you a lot right there. You know, it's for sure they're, they're, they're similar players. We know how good Lau was. You know, I mean, he was an All-American uh, for Maryland, and, and I think Dunn has that kind of ability. This might be the best middle infield in college baseball this year, you know, with, with Smith and Lau. Um, certainly, you know, when you factor in the offensive part of it as well as the defensive part of it, um, you know, Dunn continues to get better defensively. I think coming in, there was a little bit of a question about, you know, how, how good he's going to be at second base, but he held his own last year, and, you know, he's, he's not um, a plus defender on the pro scale at second base, but I think he's, he's pretty good. Uh, certainly good enough, um, you know, when you put him with a, a, an elite shortstop like Smith, and, and both those guys are going to hit a lot too. So I don't know if there's another college middle infield in the country that I'd rather have in 2017 than, than Smith and, and Dunn. 
Wow, that's pretty pretty lofty praise for the two of them. And, of course, they spent the summer in some ways together, both playing in the Eastern Division of the Cape Cod Baseball League. And at one point, this was maybe fun for me being up in Chatham, but I was able to see them as the middle infield during the Cape Cod Baseball League All-Star Game at Veterans Field and just shades of what could be, I guess, for 2017. Yeah, exactly. I think those guys, um, you know, they really gained a lot of confidence in the Cape. You're playing against the best players in the country, and they went up there and, and performed very well. And uh, certainly they, they helped their stock with scouts up there as well. And, uh, and, and like you said, I think they kind of gave Maryland fans a preview of what to expect here in 2017. Bouncing back to Marty Costas for a second, he was a guy last year, Aaron, who I don't think anyone really expected him to make the contributions that he did, even on even on any kind of scale. So from scout day, did you see any freshmen or new players transfers that you think could have an impact on this Maryland team like Costas did last year? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really nice um, group of newcomers, certainly. Uh, I was impressed with Will Watson, uh, the transfer from LSU units, who you know, I don't know exactly where he's going to play. I mean, they've got... Uh, some nice pieces already in the outfield. We talked about Costas. they got Zach Jankarski out there and, and Madison Nickens, who are all good players. But I think Watson will get in the lineup somewhere, um, at least you know, at least part-time duty. I mean, he's he's a, a it's a live body. It's a, you know, it's a pro frame, six foot two, with with some um, some strength in his swing, and it's kind of a nice fluid gap to gap approach. Um, I think that's a guy that that. You know, it will be a nice addition, and certainly Brandon Gum is another guy, a transfer, uh, a graduate transfer from George Mason, where he was a, uh, I think a three or a four year starter there. I think he might have started all four years mm-hmm. um, in the middle infield. You know, you got AJ Lee at third, who I think plays a really good third base. I'd be kind of surprised if Gum um, beat him out for that job. So maybe Gum winds up at first base. You know, we also have Kevin Beyond him. I mean, this team has depth in a lot of options and moving parts, but uh, which is not something necessarily that they had last year. No, you're right. I mean, certainly if you have injuries, which they did last year, it can derail you if you don't have this kind of depth. But this year, they do. You know, even, even if something happened to Smith, I mean, they've got options there. You could put A.J. Lee there. You could put Brandon Gum there, and both those guys are going to do a good job for you. So it's a really nice luxury. Um, I think both of those guys will make an impact in some way in the lineup. And then, of course, Tyler, Tyler Bloom, you know, um, has got a chance to step right into the weekend rotation as a freshman. He's a very advanced left-hander with, with feel for pitching. Um, you know, he was very good in the, in the Cal Ripken League this summer against older competition. Um, just mature, you know, he throws strikes, he commands his fastball, it's up to 90 miles an hour, he's got a swing and miss breaking ball. Uh, it's, it's a really nice package there, a guy that has, I think, some, some high upside as well. I think you're going to see some velocity gains from him as he develops at Maryland. Yeah, the pitching is certainly an interesting discussion, especially when you consider who Maryland has lost. Mike Schwarn going to the Boston Red Sox in the draft last year, the big piece, arguably the best pitcher in Maryland baseball history, but I think people are quick to forget Who's still here in, in Taylor Bloom and Brian Schaefer, who had far and away outstanding seasons last year, statistically speaking, pretty much the same as Shawarin did. So the two of them, coupled with the sophomore Hunter Parsons, who really shined in a few midweek starts, and while he had some trouble on the Big Ten tournament stage, certainly gained a lot of experience there. You throw in Tyler Bloom, and, well, you've got a pretty decent four-deep rotation there. You know, half the battle in college baseball really is just throwing strikes. And you see... Certain staffs out there, like Cal State Fullerton, who Maryland played what the last two years, if I'm not mistaken, or at least won both of those you know, a couple series. of times. Yeah, yeah, and, and but Fullerton, you know, they're competitive every single year, and one reason for that is because um, they're usually among the national leaders in fewest walks for nine innings. And Maryland staff is built like that. You know, when you look at Schaefer and you look at Bloom, both those guys had more 
starts than walks last year. That's incredibly rare in college baseball. Um, and to have two of those guys is even more rare. Uh, and it's not like they've got, you know, it's not like they're just soft tossers. I mean, Schaefer's a prospect. He's got six foot five. Uh, he's got really good sink on his fastball. He'll he, he show you 92 94 at times last year. Um, you know, the angle is good. He commands that thing. He's got a good changeup. Um, and, and Bloom, you know, a lot of sink again on the fastball. But the, the, the life is kind of his calling card. And then the changeup. He's got a, a really superb changeup that's a true out pitch for him. So those guys have. You know, they've got stuff and command. I mean, that's a great combination. And Parsons, you mentioned as well, uh, kind of a breakout star in the summer, you know, uh, in, in that Ripken League, a guy that uh, I think he was a pitcher of the year in that league, if I'm not mistaken. But, mm-hmm. again, fills up the strike zone. He's 88-92 with, with some run on it. Um, he, could, he could spin the curveball. He's got a changeup. Three-pitch guy with command and, and, and some velocity, too. So it's going to be a good rotation. I really believe that. You bring up Cal State Fullerton. At that point, if I'm not mistaken, Aaron, Fullerton had led the league in both ERA and walks allowed per nine innings. And then Brian Schaefer went in there, tossed a complete game shutout to clinch the series on Sunday. I was there. It was one of the more impressive pitching performances that I think Maryland had all of last season, save perhaps Schaefer's shutout in the Big Ten tournament or Schwarin's 16 strikeout performance in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think Schaefer really came into his own last year. You know, I mean, um, he's 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 a stud. I just think that this is one of those guys that probably doesn't quite get the attention nationally that that he maybe deserves yet. Um, I think he was maybe in Schwarn's shadow a little bit, um, but uh, he's he's going to be a guy that's going to go pretty good in this draft again with that body, the stuff, the command, the whole package. Um, I think he's kind of a stealth prospect for this draft, and, and certainly if I'm building a college pitching staff, I want that guy at the top of my rotation because he's going to keep you in the game. He's going to throw strikes. And he's got enough stuff to, to you know, miss bats. So um, what a great place to start your pitching staff. Our guest here is Aaron Fitt, a national writer for D1Baseball.com. And, Aaron, I want to switch gears a little bit away from the roster necessarily and take a look at the Maryland schedule. And I think the first thing that jumps out at anyone who takes a look at this slate is how difficult the non-conference schedule is, taking on an LSU team in Baton Rouge, a couple of tournaments in Cary and Clearwater, and John Sheff has done a good job of building a really difficult non-conference schedule again. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's certainly going to be hard to go into Baton Rouge and win a series. Uh, it always is. I think that's the toughest place to play in the whole country, uh, and they're going to be very good again. You know, they could be a top-five team uh, once again down there at LSU, but... Um, you, know, you go down there, if you even win one of those games, you come, you come out ahead. It's going to help your strength of schedule. Um, you know, the Big Ten is a competitive league, and if they finish fourth or even fifth, they got a chance to get a regional bid because of their strong non-conference schedule, especially if they can hold their own in those non-conference games, which I think they're more than good enough to do. I mean, I think they're a top 25 kind of a team, um, and, you know, I think they're going to have a really good season. I mean, so I, I like the fact that they schedule aggressively. I really do. I, you know, I'd much rather see you go out there and challenge yourself. And it helps you earn the RPI, helps you in the strength of schedule metrics that we know the committee uses. Um, and, you know, the Big Ten is a good conference, but it has a little bit of a soft underbelly that can hurt you in the RPI. So I think it's nice to be able to offset some of those bad RPI games um, with some big early non-conference series. Well, that seems to be kind of the big question when it comes to scheduling, at least in college baseball over the past couple of years, is do you schedule as difficult as possible in non-conference slate midweek matchups in order to build that RPI regardless of wins and losses, or do you try and go a little bit softer and have just a more, uh, just a larger win total? And last year, I think you can make the case, Aaron, that 
the amount of losses that Maryland had ended up mattering more than the strong RPI that they had come selection, come time for selections. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, if they had just won a couple more games at the end of the season, um, you know, in conference play, then I think they would have gotten in, even if they were 30, you know, 31 or 32 wins overall. You don't need to get to 40 wins to get in. Uh, but if you look at what they did down the stretch, I mean, losing that series to Rutgers at home, um, Illinois, they lost two out of three at home. Those are back-to-back weekend. Those are the series you could point to and say this is what kept them out. You know, I mean, they if you win at least one of those series, you know, maybe you get in. If you win both of them, you definitely get in with their RPI. So I prefer a team that goes out and, and challenges itself. Um, I think the committee does as well. But you, you still have to take care of business in conference, and, and ultimately they finish just 13-11 and 11 in the league and, and just a couple of wins shy of probably where they needed to be. And speaking of these non-conference slates and challenging this Maryland team, a series against LSU that we talked about, a series against Brian, who had the most wins in Division One baseball in regular season last year, Princeton, a 2016 NCAA regional team. I mean, when you look at this schedule, what weekends are you circling? Well, we, we talked about, you know, that Maryland series. I'm sorry, the LSU series. Um, you know, again, if they can avoid getting swept down there, I think it's a victory. If you go down there and win that series, then you're way ahead of the game. Uh, heading into the rest of the season, you know that's that's got a chance to be a springboard series, and you, you win that series on the road, um, you know, and then and then have a good conference uh, season. You, you could be looking at a, a national seed or certainly a host. I mean, it's, it's that kind of an impact. I, I think you have so much more opportunity to have a special season when you schedule like that, and, and that series is really is really huge. Um, and certainly, the other, you know, you got to take care of business. I mean, you, you want to be consistent. Uh, they, they need to certainly beat Maryland. I mean, I, I mean, Princeton. Princeton's a, a good club. Certainly, they were last year. Um, they lost some veteran pieces. That, that's a series they probably should try to sweep. I mean, it's an Ivy League team. They don't have any athletic scholarships. Maryland probably needs to sweep that series. But if they take two out of three, it's not the end of the world. Um, and Bryant, you know, Bryant's going to be good again. I mean, this is a good program that's got it rolling. They got a really good Friday ace, James Karinchak. Um, they got a number of quality pieces back, but I don't think they're going to be, you know, a 48-win team or whatever they were last year because um, they did lose some pieces. But uh, it's a good including series. Maryland's so, pitching coach Ryan Fecto. Yeah, I guess Ryan, you could say another, <laughs> that's a big loss. The the, the Fecto Invitational there um, that'll be a, it'll be a fun series. Taking a look quickly at the Big Ten conference slate, it's it's a conference that Maryland was kind of picked to to do well in last year and finished ended up in that sixth seed for the Big Ten tournament. Do you see them taking the conference this year, finishing second, third? Where where do you see things shaking out? Well, I've got them as a team to beat. Um, of course, I had them as a team to beat last year too, and it didn't quite work out that way. A couple of injuries, and it's a competitive league. You know, there's there's going to be a number of teams probably in a dogfight there at the end. It's usually very clustered together this league at the top. Um, but you know, I think Nebraska is, is a pretty interesting club on paper that should be a worthy challenger. Um, Michigan as well. Um, Indiana looks pretty solid to me. I think uh, you know Michigan State. They got a decent amount back, so those feel like to me kind of the, the real contenders in that league. I could see any one of those five or so teams winning. But you know, each of the last couple of years we've had a surprise team emerge in the Big Ten. I mean, you had Iowa two years ago. Um, kind of came out of nowhere. They weren't on anybody's radar. And then last year, Minnesota, again, a team that nobody expected anything from. You know, I think they were picked, finish, I don't know, ninth in, mm-hmm. the, in the preseason by the coaches, something like that, and wound up winning the regular season. So you never know in this league. I do feel like there are these stealth teams that sneak up on people sometimes. But uh, on paper, I would say Maryland is the team to beat uh, with, with kind of Michigan and Nebraska and maybe Indiana in that mix as well. 
Maryland opening its Big Ten schedule against Michigan Friday, March 24th through the 26th, and then away series against Nebraska and Indiana later in the slate. Our guest here is Aaron Fitt from D1Baseball.com. And Aaron, the last thing I want to get to you about is I want to talk about where you see Maryland finishing in 2017. I'm talking about do you see them as a top 25 team entering the season? Can they return to the NCAA tournament as they have two of the, out of the past three years? I think yes and yes. I think, you know, there's a lot of teams that I like, so I'll start with that caveat. But uh, on, on paper, uh, my, my gut says, yes, this is a top 25 team in the preseason. And, and um, you know, we'll, we'll see once we sit down to, to deliberate our rankings if there winds up being room for them. But I would think that there will be because I think they're going to be good. Um, and, and, yes, I think they'll be a regional team for, I guess it would be the third time in the last four years now. Animals, you know, Animals got in last year. They weren't far off. So they very, very nearly – you know, made three straight regionals, which is very impressive for a program that hadn't been in decades. Um, it, it's incredible to me the way that they've turned that program around. And, you know, and it's even before they left the ACC, you know, the, the first uh, trip Super Regionals, if you recall, they were an ACC team. So even in that rugged league, they had clearly gotten momentum going and they kept it going into the Big Ten. And, and uh, it's just a neat story. You know, I think that this coaching staff is fantastic. I have so much respect for John Chef, the way he runs his program. Uh, it's just that, that blue-collar approach that uh, the players buy into, and that uh, matters in college baseball. It really does. If you can get guys that believe and play hard and practice hard and all those things that sound boring and cliche, um, if guys really buy into that stuff, it can carry you a long way, and, and I expect it to do so once again this year. It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all if this is the year Maryland uh, breaks down that door and makes it all the way to Omaha. I mean, it's, you know. They're kind of in that same, for me, in that same category heading into this season as Coastal Carolina was last year. You know, we had Coastal as a, I don't know, around somewhere around number 20 in our preseason rankings. Uh, I probably liked them a little bit more than that. Um, Kendall, my, you know, one of my partners at the UN Baseball, wasn't quite a soul, but they wound up being the national champion. So uh, it shows you, if you've got an experienced team with some, some veteran talent, um, you can go a long way, especially if you take care of the baseball and you throw strikes. And if you look at what Coastal did last year, um, I think from the time in May when they got swept by Georgia Tech, it was kind of a turning point for their season. From that point on, they only lost, they were like 26-3 and three or something down the stretch, and, and they, uh, um, you know, they threw strikes at, at a very high rate. They walked fewer than two batters a game from that point on, and they, and they fielded 987. You know, and, and this is a team that led the country in home runs last year, but they got to Omaha and they hit two because it's not a home run park. So they won with pitching and defense, and Maryland is going to pitch. They're going to throw strikes. They're going to take care of the baseball makes me very optimistic about their chances this year. Well, you, you heard it here first, folks. Kevin Smith and Nick Dunn, potentially the best middle infield in the country. Maryland, a potential top 25 team to start the season. And Aaron, you're saying they might have a chance to, to break through that Super Regional wall, get to Omaha, at the very least, return to the NCAA Regionals. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Always interesting to hear and read your thoughts on D1Baseball.com. And uh, really appreciate you stopping by. Absolutely. It's my pleasure talking baseball with you. Well, let's keep on rolling here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast and take a little bit of a closer look at Maryland's 2017 schedule, courtesy of our own Joe Catapano. Last year, the Terps faced the sixth hardest non-conference schedule in the country. Looking ahead to the 2016-2017 season, not much has changed in that respect. Maryland will play its first six games on the road, starting the season on February 17th in a tournament in Clearwater, Florida, where they'll face Ball State, Louisville, and Alabama State. Those teams all finished above 500 last year, combining for a 120-57 record. 
The next weekend, the Terps will travel to Baton Rouge for a weekend series against LSU, who were eliminated in the NCAA Super Regionals last year. To put things into perspective, out of Maryland's 19 non-conference opponents this season, 16 finished at or above 500 last year. Maryland will look to boost its RPI with a tough slate of out-of-conference games, which could help them receive an NCAA tournament bid that they didn't receive last year. In terms of conference play, the Terps squeezed out a 13-11 overall record last season, which was good for the sixth seed in the Big Ten tournament. Maryland beat Indiana twice and lost to Michigan State before being eliminated by Iowa 11-0. This year, they'll begin Big Ten competition at home on March 24th against Michigan. They'll also play series at home against Penn State, Michigan State, and Northwestern, while going on the road against Rutgers, Nebraska, Indiana, and Illinois. The Terps were 8-7 last year against Big Ten teams that they'll face once again this season, but with many returning players, the Terps will look to increase their success in the Big Ten in 2017. Overall, if the Terps can show improvements in the Big Ten this year and have respectable results in its tough non-conference schedule, Maryland could be headed back to the NCAA tournament after a one-year hiatus. Back to you, Jake. Thanks, Joe. It'll be a difficult but fun schedule for the Maryland baseball team come 2017, and we're excited to be able to bring you every single game home and away come this upcoming regular season. Now, the Fall World Series, Maryland's annual fall interest squad, pit Team Papio against Team Martyr, and it was Team Papio who came on top. Here with a bit more of a breakdown and a recap of the events that happened, our very own Dylan Sin. Thanks, Jake. In late October, the Terps split into two teams and played their annual Fall World Series, a three-game set at Bob Turtle Smith Stadium. The two teams each had a past Maryland standout at the helm. Former All-American catcher Kevin Martier coached one squad, while Anthony Papio, Maryland's all-time leader in games played, coached the other. It took all three games to decide the series, but Team Papio eventually prevailed. Here's how it happened. Heavy rain in College Park delayed Game 1 almost an hour, but when the game started, Team Martier looked sharp early. Kevin Smith led off the top of the first with a single to the left, and Madison Nickens walked, bringing Nick Sierra to the plate with two on. See no deals. Breaking ball. Hit on the ground. Down the first baseline. Fair ball. Kevin Smith comes in to score. Madison Nickens being waved around third. He'll score as well. Sierra jogs into second base. A two RBI double. And Team Martier leads things 2-0 early on. It was still 2-0 in the top of the fifth when Nickens singled the center and stole second. He took a big lead off second base, drawing the attention of pitcher Truman Thomas. Drifts off of second base, but the throw over to second is misguided. Rounding third base is Nickens. He will score. Another run there on the error. Unfortunately, Thomas had the runner right where he wanted him, right in a pickle. But again, the throw to second base was offline, drifting into center field. In the sixth and final inning, Team Papio rallied. Zach Jankarski walked and A.J. Lee lined a hard single to left, getting slugger Nick Dunn to the plate with two on and two out against pitcher Tyler Brandon. Brandon fires, and it's a grounder right towards Brandon. He'll field it himself, look and throw it over to first base, and that will do it. So Team Martier finishes this one. They win three to nothing. Brandon, Jamal Wade, and Ryan Selmer combined to pitch a seven-hit shutout for Team Martier in game one's three-nothing win. Martier's team started hot in game two as well. In the first inning, it was Nickens again, sparking his team against pitcher John Murphy. Murphy kicks and deals. Nickens gets into one deep to right field. Wade going back towards the track, looking up, trying to follow it. He's at the wall, looks up, and it's gone. Madison Nickens goes deep to straightaway right field, and Team Martier leads this one early on, one to nothing. Siri blooped a single to left center to make it two nothing before the first inning was done, and then came up with two on again in the second. Siri lines it into right field. That ball's way back in right field, and that ball is gone. Nick Sieri, a three-run homer 
And Team Martyr breaks this thing open in the second inning. They la now lead it 5 to nothing. Team Martyr starter Cameron Ank had not allowed a hit into the third, but two hit batters and a walk loaded the bases for Dunn. Lined in the left field. That's going to get down for a base hit. One run will score. Lee's coming to third. He's rounding third. Here comes Kevin Smith's throw to the plate, and he is safe at the plate as the throw got away from Nick Sieri. Nick Dunn will end up at third on the play. It's a two RBI triple. Later in the inning, Team Papio loaded the bases again, and John Dignazio relieved Ank. He faced Will Watson with two outs. That again, the 2-1 is grounded at the left field for a base hit. One run will score. Here comes the second run of the plate. The ball gets by the left fielder and will go to the wall. Second run is in. Here comes the third runner. Jamal Wade will score, and Watson is into third base, and this game is tied at five. Team Papio rallied once more in the fourth, loading the bases with one out. Pitcher Jared Price struck out Ty Friedrich for the second out, bringing Jankarski to the dish. Jared Price, one pitch away from getting out of the fourth inning unscathed. He comes set. The 0-2. That's high and wide. That hits the screen behind the plate. The runner from third, Morris, will score. And just like that, Team Papio has their first lead of the Fall World Series. It was still 6-5 when Team Martyr took its last at-bat in the sixth. Three straight hitters walked to open the inning before pitcher Ryan Hill struck out Sierra for the first out. Nathan Panzer hit next and a suicide squeeze attempt was unsuccessful, leaving Panzer still at the plate with two out and the tying run on second. Swing and a miss, strike three and the ball game is over. Ryan Hill loads the bases with walks in the sixth, comes back and gets out of it unscathed Hill, Wade, and Andrew Miller combined to pitch the final four innings without allowing a run after Team Martyr's early offensive outburst, evening the series at a game apiece. Game three followed a similar pattern, with Nickens putting Team Martyr on the board in the first. Hill into his wide, and swung on and hit in the air to a pretty deep right field, throwing back his Wade at the track at the wall, and it's gone! Madison Nickens for the second straight game has hit a first inning solo home run. And Team Martyr gets out to a quick 1-0 lead. Team Papio even the score in the bottom of the third with a little small ball to score Nick Dunn from third. Pitch, Watson squares up the first baseline, coming to the plate, and scoring is done. Nobody covered first base. It's an infield single and an RBI for Will Watson, and this game is tied at one. Papio's team would score another run in the third to take a 2-1 lead, but Team Martyr got it right back in the fourth with Kevin Smith at the plate. That's hit hard, deep to left field, drifting back at the track. The wall, it's out of here. A solo home run for Kevin Smith, and the game is knotted at two. The score remained knotted into the bottom of the fourth when Wade stepped up to face Brandon with the bases empty. Smith shot is hit way back. Costas goes under it, leaps, and it's over the fence. A solo shot by Jamal Wade to straightaway center field. And that gives Team Papio a 3-2 lead. Team Martyr mounted one last rally in the fifth. A walk, a single, a double steal, and an intentional walk loaded the bases for the freshman Panzer with two outs. One and two, two outs. It's hit and deep to right field, drifting back at the track. He'll make the catch. Oh, what a play by Jamal Wade, who had to get a running start in order to track that one down in deep right field. Mike Racino pitched the sixth to close out the game and a series win for Team Papio. Back to you, Jake. Thanks, Dylan. And boy, did Team Papio enjoy the win. 
Not only do they get bragging rights, but the team was treated to a meal in the dugout while Team Martyr ran sprints. For the victory, go the spoils. Now, we take a look at the future of Maryland baseball. Recruits for the class of 2017 were able to begin signing their national letters of intent last Wednesday, and head coach John Sheff is excited about the 10 that have already signed, with more to come. Here's Max Marcilla with more information on the class of 2017. Thanks, Jake. The Maryland Terrapins welcomed 10 recruits to the program after they signed national letters of intent this past week. Some of the highlights of the class include pitcher Mark DeLua, the number 11 player in the Illinois class of 2017, as well as catcher Justin Vaught, the number 15 player in Pennsylvania. Coach John Sheff and the Terps have done a solid job of in-state recruiting as well. Maryland will welcome four players ranked in the top 20 in the state of Maryland, including Parkside's Graham Burleson and Landon's Randy Bednar. We'll have more in-depth recruiting coverage on our website in the upcoming weeks. Back to you, Jake. Thanks, Max. Now let's bring in junior shortstop Kevin Smith, who will be a veteran cornerstone for this squad this season. Kevin, thanks for joining us.
So that'll do it for this edition of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Special thanks to Aaron Fitt and Kevin Smith for joining us on this episode. Be sure to check out our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, and give us a follow on Twitter at MDBaseballNet. While you're at it, like us on Facebook, too, at Facebook.com slash MDBaseballNet. Until next time, for Joe Catapano, Dylan Sin, Max Marcilla, and the rest of the MBN staff, I'm your host, Jake Eisenberg.